This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, LS Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Brian Howard. Brian started his football education with his county club, Southampton, where he started at the age of 10 and climbed all the way through the ranks to a senior contract. He also represented England at youth level and played against some pretty decent players, as we'll discuss in the episode. And despite being offered terms by a Premier League big hitter, Brian decided to join Swindon Town in the summer of 2003 and we discuss his two seasons in Wiltshire in depth. That includes, of course, Andy King and the 2003-04 playoff campaign. After Swindon, Brian joined Barnsley where he's best remembered for scoring the winning goal at Anfield in the FA Cup. We talk about that and his career Going around the clubs, really, at Sheffield United, Reading, Bristol City, Sofia, Oxford, and we discussed that as well. Brian is still in the football business as an agent, and he took time out of what is a very busy schedule to talk to me, so I'm massively grateful to him for that. As you can probably gather by listening to other episodes, I really do enjoy listening to the experiences of players from the 2003-04 season, the playoff season, because well, after five or six years of scrapping for survival in what is now the championship and then going straight down and scrapping survival for survival in what is now League One, it was just a breath of fresh air and something that we didn't really expect at the time, despite the players being obviously very good. Anyway, I'm waffling on here. So it's time to sound the hooter. 
for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. Hello, um, my first question is a standard one for the podcast. Who did you support as a child? Uh, so my dad's from Glasgow, up in Scotland, and uh, so I'm a huge Glasgow Rangers fan. Um, so, so it hasn't been great in recent years, but you know, with Stephen Gerrard now in charge, and uh, this week's signings of Defoe and Davis, I, I think hopefully the, uh, the you know, Rangers will start putting a challenge together to challenge Celtic again. And who were your heroes growing up? So being a Rangers fan, Ali McCoist, uh, I played as a striker as a kid, so Super Ali was a bit of a folk hero at that time, always him scoring Celtic. He was one, and then when we signed Gaza, Gaza was a massive hero of mine. But then also growing up in, on the south coast and coming through the academy at Southampton, Matt Letizier was you know, also my favourite player down here, obviously a, a great player to watch and learn from. How did you end up at Southampton Academy? So I'm from Eastleigh, which is obviously local to Southampton, and I was just playing in my local school side. I was actually playing a year up, and Southampton scouts were there, I've got a player at a tournament in a tournament I got invited into the then School of Excellence at the old Dell and then they realised that I was actually a year too young for it to be actually be signed so they, they let me train there on a, on a non-contract basis and you know the following year when I was actually allowed to sign I, I signed I'm not if I'm honest with you I'm not sure how I feel about Southampton Academy and I'll tell you why they're they're present they're, they're pre- yeah well Theo's one of them absolutely like Growing up in Wiltshire, there was always a significant presence with Southampton. Everyone knew somebody who was in one of their satellite schools or with the uh, the main one. Um, you mentioned Theo Walcott there, Jordan Turnbull, Tariq Johnson, who's there at the moment, all yeah. in Swindon's books. So for you, you must be tremendously proud because for every success story, there are 5, 10, 15, 20 that don't make professional football yeah well you know I, I signed there at nine years old well went there at nine years old so I was there for 10 years in the academy so I saw a number of players come and go and ones you think are odds on to, to have a professional career and some that you think maybe not and you know as you progress through the years it kind of flips and the ones you expect to do well don't so much and ones maybe not that you know they, they go on and earn a career you were also capped by England uh, including a trip to the Toulon tournament with the under twenties, it was it, it, looking at the lineup from that era. There's lots of good players in there, but there's 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 none that I would consider people would consider like the huge names. Maybe one or two. I think. What was the standard of the uh, England youth set up like back then? It was actually really high. So I played from the I played from the schoolboys. I went. I was from the under fifteens, and again, I pretty much played a year up throughout my youth career. And again, I you know I played in the year up for for England with likes of you know Jermaine Defoe and Jay Bofferoid, people like that were in that team. Phil Gelker was in that team. Johnny Jackson. Yeah, yeah, some good players in there. And then sort of when I went back to my my age group, then you had uh, Jermaine Pennant, Jermaine Jennis, that sort of type of player in that age group. So those players were being fast tracked into the sort of higher setups at that time, yeah? Not particularly. So we're the under 20s with the too long. Hmm. What happened where it came at a, a strange time of the year from that squad that actually went. 
I think myself and three other players out of the 20 odd that went were actually the only ones that were in the the, na- the initial named squad. Everyone else kind of dropped out either because of they were going on holiday or injuries or the cloud of time clubs were pulling players out. So the Toulon tournament came, as you said, it was a weakened side, but you played against some pretty decent players, to be fair. Yeah, so we were, yeah we turned up out there and yeah the first game we played Portugal. I said there was, there was a, a player there warming up in, in bright orange boots and it just become acceptable to kind of wear white boots boots you know I said the young listeners probably listening go hang on a minute you know what what are black boots I thought they're all colour boots but um, that's how long we're going back but yeah this kid had bright orange boots and said oh, he better be a good player wearing those and it was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo um, so it turned out to be uh, not a bad player and I mean he, he was on the brink of joining Manchester United at that stage but he was already quite the talent yeah yeah and um, you know I remember after all the lads were going oh, what a player what a player he was and I remember our, our manager at the time was Les Reed, who's just left Southampton as the kind of technical director and gone to the FA as a new FA technical director. He was our, our manager. He had a go at everyone on the coach and said, well, why are you all um, talking about that, this player? He was just a show pony. Um, all he'd done was schoolboy tricks, blah, blah, blah. And we were like, OK, fair enough. Maybe we've misread this. Obviously, he's watched the game. And the next day, you always done a debrief and watched the video of the game and the clips. And uh, you watched it again. And yeah, he did do some tricks but he, he scored one and set up two so I think he uh, delivered actually rather than just some schoolboy tricks Well his motivate Les Reed's motivational speech worked because then you played Argentina the next game <laughs> So that was an interesting game I think I, I think I came off at 3-0 injured and so I went in the treatment room it was a, a stadium out in France and sometimes the foreign stadium is a little bit different over here so you kind of go in underneath the kind of main stand underneath again so you're kind of away from everything and there's a, a separate room to the, the main dressing room with the treatment tables. So I'm in with ice on my ankle getting treatment. So I didn't know the score, I couldn't hear any cheers, couldn't hear anything from the game. And you know, everyone comes in, stuff gets kicked everywhere, stuff gets smashed. And you know, there's a bit of effing and blinding from the coaches saying everyone get hit here, everyone get in. And so it was me and another player, and we were, you know, had both been injured. And all I heard was eight effing nil, eight effing nil. And I like, I had a towel over my head at the time, and I like kind of pulled the towel. So I looked around and was like, I think I murmured to one of the lads, he knew when they was nodded now. Oh my, wow. And um, yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty frosty few days after that. I think uh, Mascherano might have played in that one. Yeah, Mascherano played in that one. I think earlier in my career, we played at Wembley against the under-16s. I think Mascherano played in that along with Carlos Tevez. Nice. So uh, Mascherano played against some, yeah, not bad players when we were younger. Do you still keep on? I, the reason I ask this is um, it's because a couple of the players say they don't know where their caps are, their youth caps. Do you know where your youth caps are? Some are. Um, I still haven't got them all. It, it, it's weird. Sometimes they've done it per tournament. So I've never got my under-20 caps, actually. I've got my caps from the England under-16 European Championships. I've got some under-17 caps. And I think I've got my under-19 European qualifier caps. But I haven't got my under-20s. Now, be honest. How often a month do you wear that cap? <laughs> They're at my mum's house, to be fair. I've never, ever been one for memorabilia. I've always given away all of my stuff. And all my kind of player of the year stuff... You know, promotion medals, mm. you know, anything like that and anything kind of recognition-wise. That's all at my mum's house. And then all sorts of shirts and stuff like that I've always given away that I thought would be at a, you know, a better home rather than stuck in my garage or up in the loft. All I'm saying is I would wear that cap daily if it was me. <laughs> caps, the caps don't really suit me. I can't really pull them off, especially a bright green one with yellow writing. Can you name any of the six England under-20 teammates who would go on to place for Swindon Town at some point? Yeah. Do you know what? I think I know them all now. So, uh, Reese Evans. Yep. Um, who I played with, uh, obviously, England 
yeah, Chelsea and and at Swindon. Uh, uh, Millie, obviously James Milner, who's yeah. gone on and, and done unbelievable things, had a had a great career and gets 500 Premier League game. You know, was it last week, week before? Was great credit to him. And I think anyone who saw him as a young player at, at Swindon probably knew that he'd, he'd had that in his career. So Millie, James Bekeverly, um I think he was at Blackburn at the time. Yeah, one that probably no one will would ever get, and is Anthony McNamee, uh, Andy Donegan, and then. Someone that actually played in the schoolboys under 15s right the way through the set up with myself and was the big man at the back, big Sean O'Hanlon. So later in your career, uh, Scotland were interested in you, obviously with your link with your father. Today, in 2019, you would have played for Scotland no problem, but because of those youth caps, you were denied. Yeah, because they were classed as actual European. So there's, the, I think it was the, the Toulon tournament is, is classed as a, a FIFA-recognised tournament, and I played in the under-19 qualifiers and the actual under-16 European championships out in Israel. They were classed as FIFA-recognised tournaments. So unless you change before under or after, before 20, under-21s, you then couldn't change. And it's interesting, I actually got asked to play for Scotland under-21s whilst playing for Swindon. But at the time, you know, I think a couple of those England under-20 caps came whilst I was actually at Swindon. So I still thought that, you know, I might have had a future within England and, and to play for the 21s. You know, I was playing first-team football at the time at a young age. I thought there was a chance to, to progress. Obviously, hindsight, I probably would have done it now. But yeah, then, you know, once I got to, I think I was at Barnes at the time, 24-25, I got called up to... To, to play for Scotland, I think it was against Croatia and Czech Republic. Then, you know, only to be pulled out the next day. I'd be good with that. I'd, I'd have had no qualms about switching sides if uh, if it meant yeah. international football. Um, it's because I think Rory Fallon had the same issue for a long time uh, because he represented England, but ended up yeah. getting those New Zealand caps because the rules do change. I, now it doesn't matter, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. But his his England caps weren't recognised FIFA tournaments. Ah, right. He got he got friendlies and and sort of games like that. It wasn't an actual tournament. So that's why Rory, obviously, I know him very well. That that's why he was allowed to change. But it was a bad week, very bad week. That so we actually we actually beat Chelsea on the weekend in the, the quarterfinals of the FA Cup on a high Tuesday night. We played played Ipswich at home in the Championship, and I got pulled in the manager's office. Said, right, you called up for Scotland. Happy days. Went in the went in the dressing room. Probably took a fine for it. Phoned my dad to tell him. Went out. Scored what I thought was a hat trick, so absolutely buzzing. And the next day we had a, a team day out to Cheltenham races. So we get on the, in the bus the next day, get halfway down to Cheltenham. It was a year where they had horrendous weather, and they called the racing off. So we're stuck on the bus halfway down from Yorkshire. Where should we go? You know, stopped off for a bacon butty somewhere. And while we're sat there, I get a phone call, and it was uh, right. I think there's a problem. You can't go away with Scotland now. So absolutely raging with that. We then found i think we ended up diverting and going to Savile races or somewhere like that decided to have a few beers and then i get another phone call saying oh and by the way um your third goal last night the panel's now taking it away from you so oh. you only got two goals not a hat trick so it was a pretty bad 24 hours oh man okay so mum's got the hat trick ball at home so i still claim it oh damn right you know just don't worry what the stats say don't worry what the You're stats correct. say <laughs> well played hobble Swindon Town, you spent a bit of time at Chelsea. Uh, you played a couple of reserve games for them alongside future Swindon goalkeeper Reese Evans. It was another. It's another turning point in your career because you almost joined them. Yeah, so you know, I, I sat down with Gordon Strachan. I think it was about the March time. I said, "Look, where does my future lie at Southampton?" And so I'm kind of 19, come out 20, and I need to be playing first team football. Obviously, back then it, there was no 23s. It was just reserve team and. 
you know, I was eager. I wanted to kick on and, and have a career. Um, he said, look, you can stay and have another year. But realistically, we're in uh, this year. They got to the FA Cup final. They finished seventh in the in the Premier League. Realistically, I can't see you breaking into my first team squad. So I said, OK, then, you know, and I agreed to, to leave the club. They thought that I was going to go to a lower league club with that. A friend of mine was at Chelsea. So I heard you're leaving Southampton. So he goes, oh, our gaffer wants you hit. So it was before, it was pre-Abramovich, so they didn't have the money they have now. They said they wanted to get young English players in. So come in, train for a bit and and see what you can do. So I went in there. I think I played about five or six reserve games. I think I actually scored about six or seven goals and done really well. And they said, look, we want to sign you. You're going away with the two-don tournament. Let's sort of contract out while you're away. And when you're back, come and sign on a dotted line. Whilst I was away for the two weeks of the two don, Bramovich took over. They'd signed Varon, Joe Cole, Hernan Crespo, those kind of players. And I thought, well, if I wasn't getting a game at Saints, I don't think I'm going to get a game here. So uh, it was like, right, talk to the agent, back to the drawing board. Let's let's get a club. And who else were interested other than Swindon? Bournemouth were interested at the time. Uh, I had some offers in Scotland. Uh, I had a, a couple of offers up north and about the time being obviously I was from down south and I wasn't particularly keen on, on moving away to the unknown and then I think at the time I had the same agent as Sam Park and he said well look I'm just doing a new deal for Sam you know, I spoke to the, the management team here at Swindon they would like you here would you would you just come in for a couple of days just have a look at it and see where we go it, it's brilliant it's one of the best contracts I've ever done in my life and uh, that I went in I think I trained Thursday Friday played 45 minutes in a, a training ground game against Hazen Yedding or someone like that and the agent came to the game I, I played particularly well and me the agent and the, the late and oh, I was great because he was brilliant for me and, and was brilliant all round there's a guy uh, Andy King sat down on the park bench at the training ground and done a contract on the back of his fag packet <laughs> classic Andy King <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't happy with the, it was a small fag packet, so I wasn't happy with the amount of zeros you could put on there. <laughs> <laughs> you had been with Southampton for you know over a decade. How did you find that transition from an elite academy, as it was, it had a great reputation even back then, to Swindon Town? It was tough because I'd build, I, since I was nine, ten years old, I was a local lad. I'd been tipped for the top right from them. And even when I played for England Schoolboys, I was the first player to play for England Schoolboys uh, at Southampton for a long time. They gave me the youngest pro contract to anyone since I think it was Matt Letizia and Alan Shearer. So I was, I was I was bigged up quite a lot and I've spoke to people a lot about it now and near and much all the academy coaches are now at Fulham. And yeah, with what I do now, I went into Fulham and I spoke to them all and they said, the problem was it didn't have the structure of what it has now and I was allowed to get away with whatever I, I wanted to because I was still the best player every day where I was never pushed to be my best. And it, it was really interesting actually and I, and I kind of agree in, I you know, probably should have done a lot better, but you know, you, you make those mistakes when you're a young player. You get, you know, I got given a lot at a young age, but um, yeah, I went on and still forged a career for myself. I think nowadays with the Premier Development League as well, there's people like Jack Stevens, and I think you've got a relative there, Target, Matt Target, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Target's uh, my, my young cousin, yeah. Yeah, and s- several others, Tyreek Johnson, as I've already mentioned, um, they, they stick around for a couple more years longer than they have to now because they're on a senior contract, but still able to develop. So it's kind of like one of those things that um, it seems like so long ago. Yeah, so yeah, that. You know, those boys now, you, you look at it and go, oh, they're young players getting a chance. You know, mm. actually, he's 23, he's going to be 24 soon. Yeah. You know, like, well, by the time I was 24, I'd already, you know, left, been to Swindon, played 100 games, been Barnsley, I was Barnsley captain at that point, so yeah. in the championship. So it's, it's yes, it's it's mad how the development's kind of changed now. And, you know, they, they stay at clubs now till they're sort of that age and 
if they don't make it, they sell them on to league clubs rather than what they let me do and let me go and you know sign for Swindon for free. Then you know they that would end up costing you know a, a club a fee. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost a business, second business now for these clubs. Absolutely. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Who helped you settle when you were at Swindon? So this is well, when I met Andy King. He said, "Oh, look, you know, there's a little car school coming from down south, so um, you can share the car school." And I said, oh, who's coming from down there then? And he said, oh, Stefan Migliaranzi and someone just signed called Sammy Igo. I said, OK, so spoke to Sammy and Steph and then Steph was actually moving up to London and, and kind of Sammy then just took me under his wing. We had a little car school and then it, it got bigger and bigger when we had the likes of Eddie Howe and Dion Burton on loan. And yeah, they would jump in the car school. Yeah, we, we had a great crack, so that was that. And then every day we'd meet at Cheveley Services and jump in a bigger car with Steph and Sammy Parkin. And I'd probably say Sammy Igo and Sammy Parkin were the ones and then, you know, you had some senior pros that really looked after me like Alan Reeves and, and Tommy Mooney I remember a lot of sort of local news articles and you were always around Sammy Igo playing pool in those sort of bits to what footballers do when they're not on the training pitch and all that malarkey um, but he was kind of forgotten now how good Sammy Igo was for Swindon he was brilliant he was an absolute brilliant player honestly he, he cracked me up he was one of a kind he used to smoke 20 fags a day he like I'd room with him as well and it, we'd wake up on a Friday night on a away trip at 3 in the morning and I'd hear like a a can of coke popping and going shh and then I have like wake up I look over and he was this he had the least body fat of any player I've ever played with in my life and he would be eating chocolate digestives and cans of coke at 3am the night before a game and he'd still go and run more than anyone else uh, and that was after smoking probably 20 fags as well um, so he was an absolute brilliant character, but you know, absolute great guy that really helped me. But he was a like, really, really talented footballer. Cans of Coke at 3 a.m. I could have been a yeah. pro. I could have been a pro. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think Sammy is the only player I've come across in my career out of the hundreds of players I've played with that could have got away with that. The Enigma. So Andy King has, has been discussed a lot on this podcast. We've I've had both sides of uh, the Andy King experience, the good and the bad, but yours was, was a good experience. Yeah, yeah, good. Even even when you know, maybe I wasn't in the team, I wasn't playing, or, or even when I left the club, I just had a great relationship with him. And I don't know, he used to think I was a, a cheeky young fella, but I'd always have an answer for him. And But he knew that he would always get the best out of me and all, I'd always work hard for him. So, you know, he, he was brilliant for me. He, you know, he gave my league debut, so I'll be forever thankful for that. Um, yeah, that's one thing that, you, know, you would always remember and you always remember that guy that gave you that chance to be officially a professional footballer so um, yeah it's just someone I always hold sort of close to me and um, always remember and be thankful for Matt Haywood suggested to me on this podcast that King wasn't the most tactical of managers <laughs> is it possible to get away with that in today's game? I think so I'm not sure how far you'd go to the top but I think it is. I think, you know, there is a style of managing. You get a good team together. If you get a team of good players and you get a good team spirit, then you'll be successful. I think a couple of the most successful sides I've played in haven't been down to, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful to, to any coaches and managers I've played for, hasn't been down to tactical brilliance or anything. It's been, you know, players on the pitch that are good players, but they'll, you know, run their socks off for their teammate next to them. Mm. Um, you, know, you know, good players and team spirit goes goes a long way. Especially during that first season, it, as you said, it, it was known for being a happy changing room. You know, I've spoken, I've read the experience of players who, for want of a better phrase, 
hated um, Andy King, especially the era just before you joined. How, I'm I, I, I just trying to figure out how he managed that, how he managed to annoy so many players, but they still got on with their job so effectively. I think footballers are fickle. I mean, you probably come across many in your time and, you know, as a fan and obviously doing stuff like this and they can get upset very easily. I was always pretty thick-skinned and, well, he never really upset me. Uh, I just got on with the job and sometimes if he had a pop at me or whatever, I always found a way to, to laugh and say, well, okay, I'll just get on with my job. So it, I think it's all about different characters. And, you know, I remember being in, in his room when I was signing with my dad. And, you know, my dad, yeah, was, was a tough Glaswegian fella. And him and Kingy just had, you know, great banter. And, you know, it was one of those that just kind of went on from there. He said, I'll look after your son, but I'll make sure I'll give him a fucking kick up the arse when he needs it. And uh, my dad was like, yeah, you make sure you do. So I don't know, I had a relationship like that with him from the start. Mm. How did you find his assistant? So in your first year, it would have been Malcolm Crosby. In the second, it was Mike Walsh. How, what did they bring yeah. to the club? Love Croser. Mm. You know, what, what a character, what a guy. I actually saw him last week at football and still talk to him a lot. Always stayed in touch with him throughout my career. Um, obviously, he's scouting now and with what I do with the agency now that, you know, we stay in touch and speak a lot. And, you know, we always sit and talk about the good old days and, he actually then took me to, to Birmingham near the end of my career as well. And so, yeah, I worked with him again then. But, yeah, great guy across a real, real one of the good guys in football. Yeah, Walshie was a good guy. He was Kingy's mate. Obviously brought him in. Didn't have such a close relationship with him. By that time, you know, it was the second year. It, there was there was different dynamics in the club. So I uh, wasn't as close with him, but, you know, got on all right. And then, you know, then Big Mick came in and you know, I got on great with Big Mick. Do you think Crosby's exit after the playoff season was detrimental to what happened in the second? Yeah, yeah, I think so, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, that that's the team and everything that we had in the first season. We, we should have gone up that year. There you go. Make no bones about it. We should have gone up that year with that team. And, and what we've done, and obviously, yeah, the, the way we went out to the 125th minute goal, whatever it was, and then on penalties to Brighton. And, um, yeah, obviously, and they went up. That, that was gutting, but I think we, we should have definitely gone up that year with, with the team and side we had. We'll start, we're not going to go through every game, obviously, but your your debut for Swindon was one of the most intense and sad days that the club had, had had in years and to this date that remains the same because the news filtering in that day is that ex-player Jimmy Davis had died in a car accident and you're sat around players who were his teammates and obviously you must have felt helpless or whatever, but what was that environment like? Really tough, actually. So, so I never played with Swindon for Swindon with Jimmy, but I actually played a few games in the England sides growing up because he was a year above me. So when I stepped up a year in the 18s, and I actually played a few games of him, so I knew him well. Really talented player, really great character, really great person. And I knew he had a, a really good season the year before with Swindon. I think he made you know a bit of a fan's favourite, and he, mm. he made a lot of friends in the dressing room. So we... Remember me and Sammy Igo were in the car and we heard, oh, there's been a delay in the in the game and there's been an accident, blah, 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 involving a player. And we, were, oh. we obviously didn't know what it was. And then we got into the dressing room and I think it was Robbo at the time. I've heard it's Davo because he was really close to him. So I think they used to travel back and forth together to to the Midlands or Nottingham after games, wherever they were from. And then, yeah, the gaffer came in and said it was and it was a real, real sombre mood in the dressing room. But then the thing was, you got to pick yourself up and play. And not only that, it was probably the biggest game of the season. It was Sheffield Wednesday at home. And the, and the biggest game of your career. Yeah, I think, you know, on a selfish point of view, I was yeah. a bit a bit miffed that I played in all the pre-season games. And Kingy being Kingy left me on the bench. And I think when I'm, yeah, we were 3-2 we were down and he chucked me on at the end. And 
I always remember it that it came off in one of my first kick, kicks of the ball was to take a wide free kick and was always you know try and score at the back post but I actually overhit it a bit and it nearly went right in the top corner and I think it might have impressed me in goal and he actually tips it over the far corner I thought yeah that would have been a great debut to, to come on score with my first touch stick in the top corner from there but wasn't to be your first weeks and months is very much on the bench coming on, wasn't it, if I remember rightly? Yeah, yeah, the, you know, Kingy being the uh, the mastermind that he was, was, look, you're a young player, you need to find your feet, I'll break you in gently. And then obviously once I got in, you know, I stayed in and, and, and became a permanent fixture, really. And I think my first full month of starts that, you know, I'm player of the month and you know, went on to, to play a big part in the end. I think your first goal was a late one against Luton Town. Yep, always remember that goal and remember getting booked for jumping in the crowd after. So yeah, yeah, first goal and it was a bit of an omen really because I, I kind of took that through my career then and always, always seemed to score against Luton. Probably, I think it's, if I'd probably worked out, I'd probably one of the clubs I scored the most goals against. When, when you score a goal and you go hurtling towards the crowd to celebrate or take your shirt off, and do you think... I'm going to get booked for this or do you just, is it just heat of the moment it's heat of the moment especially for you know, as a young player we were I think we were 2-0 down when I came on mm-hmm. and we got it back to 2-1 I think that was to make it 2-1 mm-hmm. so I'm, I've come on as a young player scored my first professional goal you know in, in front of the home end in front of the mad fans you know I smashed it in to get an equaliser when we were 2-0 down to Luton you know I don't, I don't think what I'm doing I'm, I'm going to celebrate I want I want you know this is a special moment for me I want as, as many people that I can in front of me to enjoy it with me <laughs> First season was was it was brilliant, and I, I'll tell you why it was brilliant from a fan's perspective. Because it's not just because we reached the playoffs; it's because we were good. And yeah. and I say that because before you guys turned up in the summer of two thousand and three, Swindon fans had endured five or six years of absolute dross. We were if we were in the championship or what is now the championship, we were struggling. Uh, we were broke, and we were either somehow surviving relegation or relegated. And then when we got relegated into what is now League One, we were rubbish and struggling and avoiding relegation. So 2003-04 came out of the blue. I've got loads of highlights. What were yours? Well, I think we've just touched on two of them. Obviously making my debut against Sheffield Wednesday, mm. which is obviously a huge club. I remember being a huge, huge crowd. Scoring my first goal against Luton. Playing in the playoffs. Really, so, to, so to make the playoffs would been for your first sort of full season as a a first team regular yeah I mean, playing I think playing against Bristol City you know in the, in the derby uh, getting the first sort of taste of a derby yeah I'd say yeah they were kind of my highlights really were you on the pitch when Rory scored I was actually suspended yeah I was sat in the crowd I was suspended I got sent off on the Tuesday night against Grimsby oh before. the Grimsby game yeah the Grimsby game which you felt the wrath of Andy King I imagine for that setting off yeah and uh you know, again, it was. I think I got man of the match in that game. We won two 0 I played particularly well. It was probably one of my better games. Uh, I think that, you know, Andy actually listened to me and played me in the middle of the park. And it was a 90th minute tackle that I didn't want need to go for, but I was just playing on such a high that I was just so confident. And um, you know, I, I did go in two footed. Uh, you know, I won the ball. 
probably back then it probably wasn't a red definitely a red and modern game mm. um but back then i thought it was a bit harsh but yeah and uh yeah definitely felt the wrath of of kingy after that that's for sure yeah i get the impression kingy didn't like people getting sent off regardless of result or yeah. <laughs> implications no, like that. no again so that was the tuesday night and then um i remember that i remember the i always remember it say i remember him hammering me after that and I remember the next day going into Southampton Shopping Centre because I, I still lived in Southampton and, and travelled every day with Sammy and um, going to Southampton Shopping Centre and I was, I was with my missus we were walking for a bit of lunch and I hear Brian, Brian in a Scottish accent and I was like oh, I, I turned around and it was Gordon Strachan <laughs> and I said oh alright uh, yeah, uh, Gaffer um, you alright and he said what did I tell you I said, well, he said you're a footballer don't try and tackle <laughs> click me on the back of the head and he said Heard you played really well last night, and then you get yourself sent off, and I was like, "All right, okay." So, I got it from the old gaffer as well about that red card. So into like the football racket that he's he's looking at the highlights of League One. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it was great. It was um, yeah, a good moment, and my missus was like, "Oh no, no. So he still remembers you." Like, why did he let you go then? <laughs> and yeah, I tried to explain to her missus back then how football worked. How was Gordon with you? Um, it was all right. You know, he 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 appreciated that I was a good footballer, but at the time. Southampton we were particularly strong in the midfield um, of course the middle like I said it was probably the strongest team they had in that era um, so he was great for me I learned a lot from him but you know it just wasn't to be and I never hold a grudge but with anyone in you know gave me an opportunity to then go and have a career so yeah it, hmm. we, we got on fine and even even afterwards I came across him you know when he was sort of middle manager and a few other clubs and played against him um, he was actually middle manager and I was playing for Reading and I got sent off for a similar tackle and I think he said the same thing. Told you not to tackle. So, <laughs> yeah, I probably didn't learn. On a scale of 1 to 10, do you hate Brighton and Hove Albion? For that game, 10. Yeah. yeah? They're one of the few teams that you didn't play for at some point near to the end of your career. Yeah, one of the clubs on the south coast that I didn't play for. I very, very nearly signed for them Very uh, when I was leaving Reading. Yeah. Uh, Gus Poirier was manager um, yeah. and, he, and he tried to sign me and uh, it just didn't didn't work out at the time and I went to Portsmouth instead. Oh, that would have been a good move. Yeah, they yeah, no, the... it would have been. It just, just didn't work out at the time, but you know. Yeah, these things. I can. Uh, we've talked about this game over and over again, and I put Swindon fans through it um, every time I speak to one of the victims of uh, that night in Brighton. But oh, just I, I think it's therapy more than anything. Talking to the yeah. players because yeah, well, like from my perspective, you know, the, the game was won. It was mm. done. We, we won the game. You know, if it went to penalties, I was due to take a penalty. Mm. Um, and then you know, Gaffer's got to look. You know. Make a, make a sub you throw your socks off you know come and have a rest or, or chuck someone else on to, to see the game out and so I remember coming off thinking game's done sat on the bench going happy days like how many tickets can I get for Wembley for the family blah 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 and then um, yeah 125th minute the long throw comes in and Virgo with a diving header and then the uh, the horrible penalty shootout at the horrible stadium in the horrible weather that that night was. Wonderfully put. That was poetic at the end. Uh, the second season, it's a bit of a damp squib, really. Uh, we we've got that. We only really lose Tommy. So only Tommy Mooney leaves. That's that's in the first sort of eleven plus most of you subs. So you think we would have been able to kick on and maybe make a couple of signings, but it just didn't happen. What 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 went wrong there? Honestly, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy was a huge factor for us. Yeah, he was an experienced player, but on and off the pitch, um, 
he was uh, yeah he was he was huge for us. So that was a, that wasn't just um, you know losing one player. That was a, a whole dynamic of a dressing room you're taking out. Um, look, he, he upset a few people, but that's the way he was. He was a winner. He was a character. Yeah. Um, but not only that, he was he was a focal point up the top that enabled Sam Parkin to do what he does, score the goals. So that that was a huge, huge difference. Obviously, Crosser Wentz is a different dynamic there. You're losing two massive characters. Financial stuff off the pitch, we, we were getting paid by cheque. A lot of the time, we should have been paid on the last day of the month. You were getting paid on the fifth of the month by cheque on a Friday, so you couldn't cash it till the Monday. If you were the last one to cash your cheque, then it was bouncing. Um, there was loads of different stuff behind the scenes that were going on, and... Um, a lot of players come into the last year of their contract, knew that they wouldn't be staying for financial reasons or forever. Um, so, yeah, it was just, I don't know, it, it was a whole different feeling amongst the group. There wasn't that uh, collectiveness in, in the dressing room. It was more of, everyone was still friends, but it was more like everyone's playing for themselves. It's really interesting because in your position now, surely you would be telling your clients or anyone that would be listening to you, get out. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. We need to get you out. You you can't you can't live like this. You need to secure your future. So yeah, you know, luckily at the moment, I think probably only Bolton are the, are the only club around that are similar similar like that these days. Yeah, and um, that second season, let's think of highlights. I, I remember being in the town end when you scored against MK Dons. Nice, nice little uh, outside of the boot into the. Uh, corner which which i liked immensely because that was when mk dons were brand new um yeah. and so everybody hated them and swindon always seemed to hate mk dons a little bit more than other clubs that weren't wimbledon so scoring that that's, that's nice. so interesting as you're on the phone to me as i've just driven home from stadium mk <laughs> <laughs> i mean what i mean the dust has settled now on mk dons those who yeah. remember you know they are the the franchise club. Um, I don't think I'll ever fully warm to them in any way. But they seem to now have. Uh, is it because they've done things the right way within the industry, or is it just because time? Yeah, is so. yeah they've, they've built it up the right way. They've got good facilities. They just didn't try to to buy their way to the top. Now they've they've built a foundation. Um, I was with the new manager and coaching staff today, and, and and they're looking to try and rebuild again. And you know they're looking to get promoted this year, but not only this year. They want to do almost what you know, Luton done last year and go, right, we're, we're building a team not just to, to get promoted from League Two, we're building a team to, to get back-to-back promotions. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I think they're doing things right. Um, I'll get you get your feeling towards it, but from a neutral perspective, I think that, you know, they're, they're a club that are doing well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Swindon players from this era always talk to me about characters and they always leave it at there. What, what makes a footballer a character? Oh, what makes a footballer a character? You say that, you know, it's, it's interesting that I spoke about how many players come and go through the academy at Saints. Yeah. I say a lot of them didn't make it because they didn't have character. No. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know, I don't think we've got long enough in this podcast to go through different characters sure. in football. But you've got, to, you've got to have that self-belief. You've got to believe in yourself without being, you've got to be arrogant without being, you've got to be confident without being arrogant. You've got to, you know, have tough skin. You're playing for a manager, Andy King, you know, that it will tell you the truth, which I always wanted. Mm. You know, you had to be able to do that. You couldn't just crumble. You know, um, you know I saw some things with King, uh, not a name players. I remember he told one player he was taking them off at half time. So the player took his shirt off and he realised he didn't have anyone on the bench to replace him. He said, No, I'm just testing you. Get yourself back out there. <laughs> and uh, he went back out there, scored a goal, and ran past King and giving him two fingers. Um, 
But then Kinley after was like, see, just testing your character. Um, <laughs> so, and he, he, he kind of said that that was what he meant to do. He meant to test his character, and that's why he scored the goal. So, I don't know. That's a, that's an example that, you know, hopefully people can kind of read between the lines of, you know, a character at that sort of time. Park in! 1-0 Swindon Town! Thoroughly deserved opening goal! of the second season the exodus begins because contracts are running out people aren't getting paid so obviously they're not going to stay why didn't the players pretty much say that at the time because there's a lot of war of worlds it's kind of like a, an etiquette not to say you know Swindon are screwed um, I'm going because I can get two years and more money elsewhere they're just sort of saying well I'll, I'll stay if I get an offer and then the, it, everything was quite public I mean Andy King told Radio Swindon. I didn't make Brian an offer, but he could come back into mind if Smith left. I feel that Smith and Howard compete for the same position. How on earth do you want a sign or stick around if if you're going to be somebody if you're going to be second best to someone? Yeah, it's, it, it was strange. That's why you know myself and King had a this strange relationship really. And um, I think the start of the season, I started the season particularly well. And I think I banged in a few goals, and he was playing me as a striker at one point. Mm. And obviously, Tommy left and he played me up the top, and I was like, look. Andy, I, I want to play central midfield. This is where I want to play. And he sent me back out on the left and flicked between a few positions. And I, lo- I lost faith in it a little bit. And to be fair, I, I, you know, as a young player, I did let my standards drop a little bit, really. And I think you know, it was coming around the Christmas time and, and Smithy got in the team. And you know, me and Smithy are good pals even now. And he's, he's doing the agency stuff now as well. He's a huge Rangers fan. He got in and he probably, I think, I don't know if you've done this with him, he'll probably be honest with you and say that sort of, he probably had a four or five month spell was the best four or five months of his career. Yeah. He was he was just on fire. He was scoring well. He's left, right and centre. And the gaffer said, well, look, you know, Smithy's in there doing this, you know, so that's where I see you playing. I disagreed and thought I should have played in a, in a different position. And, you know, that was that. And it's coming near the end of the season. He used to say I was on too much money for a young player anyway. I said, that's fine. I'll, I'll go and find somewhere else. I've got people that want to take me and give me more money if you don't believe in me. Um, I didn't want to leave, and, but as a young player, I couldn't come out and say anything because I didn't feel it was right. I was too inexperienced and to come and come out and say anything. And actually, I just wanted to go and find a home to play football. Mm. I think even Sandy Gray waded in when you left. You were like, ah, I wouldn't have signed one if you would have offered me anyway. So I think you said when you joined Barnsley that even if you offered me the same terms, I wouldn't stuck around. And then Sandy Gray came out and go, well, we didn't offer you one anyway. And it's just absolute mess. I know, and uh, I think at the time they couldn't afford to offer what I was on for a young player. But it mm-hmm. actually worked. And the reason I didn't say anything was because if they did offer me the same, they could have asked for compensation. And I couldn't have left. So yeah. um, you know, I, I learned the game at a young age. Yeah. You, you suggested that Swindon put all their eggs in one basket during your two years at Swindon. I think that's in relation to having the squad in year one and not not preparing yeah. for non-promotion. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd say that. Did you ever buy a Christmas tree from Sam Parkin? No, no. I remember, I remember my first Christmas there, and I see all these Christmas trees rock up at the training ground. And I remember meeting Sammy one day at Chibley Services, where we used to meet, and he had two Christmas trees on his roof on his BMW, and <laughs> used to crack up at that. And do you know what? I'd forgot all about it as he mentioned it, but yeah, that's the sort of dress room it was at that time. And I think Grant Smith's mum worked at the airport, so he used to sell duty-free aftershaves and perfumes come Christmas time. Uh, Sammy was oh, well, super. Sammy was. Uh, selling Christmas trees um, yeah it was uh, 
a very interesting uh, dressing room at the time. A lot of uh, a lot of wheeling dealing. At one point, I was expecting the uh, the old three wheeler trotters van to pull up. <laughs> I'm going to find somebody who bought that tree one day. I, I swear, everyone's denying it, but you must have you must have shifted some. You leave in Swindon. Barnsley's the club where you went to, but I think that's where Bournemouth were serious in you at that stage as well, weren't they? Yeah, Bournemouth were serious. There was, there was about five or six clubs that that came came calling at the time and. Uh, yeah, they gave so much people, can't believe you they let you go, can't believe you're leaving, blah blah blah. I was like, Look, you know, what I mean, I was, I'm, I'm, it's done, it's, I'm not gonna, I want to go and play somewhere else. Hmm. So I went out to Barnsley, met Andy Ritchie and, and the management team, and Tricky Ricky Olden's assistant, who is as much of a character I've come across as Andy King, what a great guy. And he said, Look, we're building a young team, we want to get promotion in the next two years, this year will probably be too soon. And I go back to to team spirit and dressing rooms that was just another level because you know there was two or three lads that I played in the England youth set up with um, that I knew anyway and I think the average age of the squad was about 21, 22 and everyone was between sort of 19 and 25 with a couple of older heads chucked in for experience and we'd done everything, everything together you talk about when me and Sammy used to play pool and that that Barnsley team we literally we had a car school we lived two minutes from the ground but we'd all jump in the car together and you know, go to training together, go out after. We'd do absolutely everything together, and I think that team spirit. We have, yeah, you know, we have really good young players, but that team spirit got promoted. And I think from the start of the season, we said, "Come, we can, uh, we can get promoted here." Yeah, and it, even though what Richie says is pretty much spot on, but he doesn't, unfortunately for him, stick around because he's let go. And I think Simon Davy comes in, and I think the following year you make the playoffs. Um, against Swansea, what's it like playing such a high-state game against like a former colleague in Rory Fallon? It was interesting, and it was also Gary Monk. You know, mm. I came through the academy at Southampton with Monk. He was a couple of years older. Yeah. So um, you know, you got, you know, playing against those at you know, it was at Cardiff, unbelievable atmosphere. But we just we just had no fear at that time. It, it was so it was so strange. I think we I think I might be twenty-two, and you know, the average team was you know, all around that age, and we really just took it in our stride. I remember. Yeah, we went and saw the pitch, and it had been terrible weather. And they had the pit, and there was a game before that, maybe the day before, and the pitch was all cut up. And the gaffer was like, "Who's got proper studs?" And, it, and after the game, oh, sorry, after the day before the game, we went to see the stadium on the way home. The gaffer, we were like, "Well, oh, some of us ain't got studs." So the team bus dropped a few of the lads and the gaffer into the town. He took us into JJB and bought us boots for the game the next day. Brilliant. It was a great game, that playoff final. I mean, you must hate playoffs because your relationship with the playoffs is is one of heartbreak. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, I remember that being a hell of a game. But it doesn't matter because a couple of years later, um, after that final, your place in Barnsley history is firmly secured when you beat Xavi Alonso to hammer in a 90th minute winning goal at Liverpool in front of the cop, you were captain. That's all right, isn't it? Not too bad. Yeah, well, it was just surreal. Honestly, so surreal. Um, I think I'd done a double page spread in the centre of the goals bit in the sun that day. And I said, oh, if I score a last minute winner at Anfield, then I'll be a hero, blah, blah, blah. And then and then to go and do it, you know, I've, I've put it out there. I've put it already written out there. It's in you know written documents. And then to go and fulfil it yeah real special times just everything that went with it you know great times and everyone kind of remembers me for that but I think that was our 11th or 12th goal of the season that year I was already having a good season so I look back at it now and it's great time at the time I just kind of took it in my stride really I was a huge Brian Howard fan when you were at Swindon and as a result of that you always look out for the players that 
you enjoyed watching at your own club. There's no malice, it, you know. You didn't you didn't go off at that stage to Bristol City or Oxford or anything like that. But even then, that was at the tail end of your career, uh, so it's not the same. But is it frustrating that to a lot of people that is all you're known for? And there was a couple. There were there were other cup shocks as well. But is that frustrate you because you were a lot more than than a goal against Liverpool? Um, not really. No, it's, it is what it is. I'm, you know, I think anyone knows me. I'm pretty just chilled with it all. Really, with the career, it was a it was a job that I enjoyed doing, and you know, had some really great times. If people want to remember me for that, and thought I was a good player, if people thought I was a load of crap, which some do, fair enough. You know, it was, it was my career, and I enjoyed it. I, you know, managed to to get set myself up with a nice life out of it. I worked hard at it, so you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you're right. It's a stupid question. <laughs> it really was better to have one thing than nothing, isn't it? To be honest. Um, now, I, rem- I watched the YouTube footage of this yesterday, and um, you were very keen to get Alonso shirt at the end, and he looks absolutely miserable with sin. But you do get it. Do you still have Alonso shirt? I don't. My brother has, as we've touched on earlier. I never kept stuff, and all the shirts I ever got in my career were from my brother. Hmm. Um, and he was like, "You've got to get me a shirt, Brian. You've got to get me a shirt. You've got to get me a shirt." And I was thinking, oh, okay, cool, no worries. And then I think um, I just scored the goal. And, and then they're taking kick-off maybe just before. And I said to Stephen Gerrard, I was like, oh, I can get Gerrard. So my brother will love me forever. I said, I was, Steve, any chance of your shirt, lad? And he, he was like, no, nah, I promised it for someone already. I was like, all right, no worries. Then the final whistle went. And it was kind of one of those. I go, oh, who's nearest to me? Who's nearest <laughs> to me? Chavi Alonso was there. So it's Chavi, Chavi, can, can have a shirt? And reluctantly gave it to me. Um, the player yeah, you yeah. did for the goal as well. Yeah, to be fair, when, when he gave me a shirt, I think that was the nearest he got to me all game. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, yeah, he got a, he got a move to Real Madrid, and I got to Sheffield United, so it didn't really work out the same. Well, your stock was remarkably high at that that time, and Premier League clubs, the move to the Premier League and international football with Scotland seemed like a formality at that stage. Um, there were lots of transfer rumours. Did anything get closer than Sheffield United? A few bits did. Um, and for whatever reason, they didn't go through. Um, hence one of the reasons I've now just, you know, decided to become an agent to make, for, make sure things get done. But, you uh-huh. know, I can't really go in, any more into that. Um, you know, probably should have got different moves. And the one I did get wasn't the right move. It was for financial reasons maybe on my behalf and other people's behalf rather than career perspectives yeah so um, yeah that's that's that that's fair enough um you move to Sheffield United you get close to the top flight with them um with another playoff final um but from here on in your career seems to get a bit disjointed is that through injuries or just one of those things yeah so I went down to Reading Brendan took me to Reading we were you know that's Brendan Rodgers the whole yeah, yeah, we're changing the whole uh, kind of dyna- uh, dynamics of Reading Football Club. Um, it brought me into players number ten. We were going to play the football that you see him, you know, that he's kind of taken to Swansea, Liverpool, and and Celtic. But he just didn't get, get given the time, and you know, uh, I was probably what five, six, seven games into that, and I broke my jaw. Um, so I was out for a bit. In that time, he got sacked. Brian McDermott came in. He had um, a different idea and. You know, me and him had a real, real strange relationship and you know, I ended up captain for him a bit and then I was left out for a bit and then I was brought back in um, and you know, then he wanted to... He, there was an opportunity, I nearly went back to Southampton 
but I was promised a few things. Um, we had Man City in the quarterfinals of the Cup. We were, you know, end up playing in the playoff final against Swansea, and I felt that I wasn't given what I was promised or the right way, and it kind of ruined that relationship from there. And then I was leaving Reading. I was probably in the fort one of the best forms I've ever been on when I learned to Millwall. I should have moved from there, but my father became sick and mm. I really sort of just took my last six months at Reading, took the money that I was earning and I could live at home and, and just kind of be there with my dad, which I'll never ever you know, regret. Um, and then from there, I, I went to Portsmouth, You know, I signed a three-year deal, couldn't afford it after six months, went to administration, so I had to leave there. I left there with a double hernia, so I ended up at Bristol City, didn't play there at the start because I was recovering from the hernia. They were then in the bottom three. Um, Sean O'Driscoll said, I brought you in to pass the ball, but who are you going to pass it to? We got relegated and they said they couldn't afford to give me the wages I was on. Went to Bulgaria. Didn't yeah. give them the money I promised there. Ah, right. Yeah. So, that, so you, you spend half a season there and you go during the break, don't you? So yeah. the CSK come, for Sofia did go yeah, to come back, come back to Birmingham, score, I think on my second game, but break my toes. Um, so I was then injured through for the rest of the season for that and then it's kind of like right where do we go from here and by that time I just completely fell out of love of football yeah. um, so I literally drew drew a mile uh, an hour's radius from my my house of where I could live I had a chance to go back to Barnsley but I didn't want to move back up north yeah. um, and Michael Appleton who I had at Portsmouth was manager at Oxford said come in here um, yeah, after playing in the championship and being in that level for the last 10 years dropped to League 2 and just didn't didn't fit at all um then i'm from eastley the guys at eastley were trying to do something you know they offered me a much better deal well pretty much more than double what i was on at uh oxford to go eastley um and then dropping from comp to the conference just yeah. completely fell out of love for football and i thought yeah i started doing the agency fell out of love for football and, or playing and decided to get into the agency full time well that was my next question well is there a psychological impact on moving around so much um and clearly there yeah. is yeah yeah because you know through the, if you look at through pretty much through the start of my career, yeah, so Southampton, Swindon, Barnsley, Sheffield United, Reading, and I'm 29, and I've only played for four or five clubs. Yeah, many a lot of players are now at 29. I've played for you know double that, and then all of a sudden you play for the same amount in two years. You get a, a journeyman tag, and I was like, I don't want that. Normally a journeyman tag you get is either not a good character in the dressing room. <clears throat> not well liked by people or just a bit of a uh, someone chasing money and I was like I'm, I'm, I'm none of these I don't want to be remembered for that I want to be remembered for being the good player good pro that I was so kind of just said right I'm going to end it on my terms rather than being in a bitter old pro at the dressing room going oh, I could have had this I could have had that yeah yeah I mean I, I saw you I don't think you played but I remember um, when you were at Eastleigh I, I saw Bristol Rovers Eastleigh at the Memorial um, I used to enjoy watching Bristol Rovers in the in the National League out of um, just finding it funny that they were in the National League. But again, I always look at players, I, I said this to Sam Parkin when I saw him play for Ipswich, you could just see that that spark has gone when I saw Sam play for Ipswich. Luckily, he managed to sort of rebuild his career elsewhere, but I definitely saw that you were turned almost into like a gunslinger for hire. You'll just kind of go where yeah. you can pick something up while you plan the next stage of your your life and your career, um, and that was for a football agency. One last question on rivalry before we move on to your agency is: you did end up playing for three of our biggest rivals, Oxford, Reading, and Bristol City. 
you're not a Swindon fan, you're entitled to play for whoever the hell you want. I've got no problem with that at all. Did any of their fans give you stick for being ex-Swindon or was it just two seasons with Swindon that went unnoticed? Yeah, no one really said anything. Mm. Uh, not to my face anyway. Um, the, only t- the only time I've ever really given a stick like that was leaving Barnsley for Sheffield United. That's the only time I've ever really had that, that sort of stick. Yeah. And I've got a lot of that then. <laughs> Tom Jones. Football agency come in? Did you flirt with coaching, or was it always going into the business based on what you'd in- encountered in your transfer dealings during your career? I always, always thought I'd go down the coaching route, and then as I've progressed, and at the same time I was moving round, I really got put off by the coaching route, um, just for, for certain, loads of different reasons, which I probably can't really say on on, on here um, to apologise for. But uh, I'd end up getting myself in trouble, with probably a few others, and so I, I just wanted to be my own boss, and right, I want to managing coach players but on this side of it so I feel I can be a personal coach and a personal mentor and make sure the boys are getting looked after away from the day-to-day stuff from the club mm-hmm. um, so whilst I was at Eastleigh we, you know, we only trained three days a week and you know, I started building this up and started to go watch young players players watching three four games a week and mentoring young players and just really enjoyed it um, you know I was working for a company that had, you know, had young players that no one had ever heard of and then all of a sudden you have those players, you know, probably nothing I told them, but Callum Chambers then moves from Southampton to Arsenal, gets in the team. Uh, Sam McQueen now breaks into the team at Southampton and plays in the Premier League. Josh Brownhill moves from Preston to Bristol City and now will probably get a Premier League move. Joe Lumley's now playing week in, week out at, uh, at QPR and he's just a young player. So uh, Matty Worthington at Bournemouth, who made a Premier League debut last year. So these are all just kids that you can mentor and it's brilliant to see them then kick on and have these careers. Mm. At the time of recording last night, you were at the Etihad watching Manchester City Burton. Today, yeah. you were at Stadium MK talking to Paul yeah. Tisdale and co. It's remarkable that you've found an hour to speak to me and I'm hugely grateful for that. What's what's the aim in the future for for you in, in the industry? What is the main goal? What's driving well, you tom- forward? Tomorrow morning, I'm 9am at Burton doing two new contracts. At uh, 1pm, I am in at Tottenham Hotspur talking about a new contract. Um, at 3pm, I'm meeting a player to sign a new representation contact, contract with myself. Saturday, I'll be at Wickham, Doncaster, watching some players and seeing Grant McCann, who I used to play with his manager at Doncaster, doing very well now. So that's pretty much as far as I've booked out now. And uh, hopefully Sunday I can have a rest and see what next week brings. Fingers crossed for you. And the, uh, any, any dealings with Swindon? So, funny enough, I was on the phone to the madman that is your new assistant manager last night. <laughs> and, he, and he was there with the gaffer and, uh, and Mildy. So... Um, he had me on loudspeaker and we had a bit of banter. So, yeah, Noel's one of my very, very close friends in football. I used to used to stay at his house a few nights a week up at Reading because, I, uh, again, I lived down in Southampton and travelled it. But a couple of nights a week, I'd stay up with, with Hunty at Hotel Hunt. And then I know Richie really well from just playing against him over the years and loads of mutual friends. And then played with Mildy at Millwall. And, again, I've, I've got players in at Bristol, Bristol Rovers and stuff. So I've dealt with him quite a lot over the years. So I've got good relationships with the, with the staff there. So just trying to help them out and... Yeah, get a, sort get a us out, Brian. Sort us out, please. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> what What are your happiest memories of your time at Swindon? Um, you know, one actually I forgot about, and um, 
I was just thinking then as we it's, it's funny as you think about things as you just chat mm -hmm. you kind of reminisce and you have so many great memories and I was like actually one great great memory was we played Brentford away at Christmas time and uh, we were going on our Christmas party after and uh, and uh, what was it? it was Sam Parkin had arranged it all because you know, yeah, that was his area that was local I think we ended up at the Hammersmith School Disco and uh, we were staying down the road from, from Brentford and I think we won 2-1 and I don't know if I scored the first goal or second goal and it was about 20 yard toe punt in the bottom corner and everyone going mad and it won us the game and when you win a game you go on a Christmas party and you go straight out and I remember Tommy Mooney hadn't scored for a few games and we were in the bar and it was like right everyone thank Bri for the win that we're allowed this Christmas do Tommy our star striker can't score for Toffee and blah 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 and so and we just had this mad night out for Christmas do and we won the game and just one of those memories of, I've scored the winner today as a, a 20, 21 year old kid and now we're all celebrating together so that was a great memory and then you know pretty much right the way through that season getting into the playoffs like we touched on the debut the you know the first career goal um, you know they're, they're real fun memories and not only that it's also you make you make good friends and you know obviously I know that Sammy's put us in touch I still talk to Sam and, and, and other players in the team um Steph McGranzi, I still talk to you as an agent in America now. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's yeah, it's great memories that you'll never forget. Steph's coming on, don't worry. He's going to come on at some point. Um, already agreed, just figuring out the logistics on that front. There's spoiler alert for anyone listening. Brilliant. Have you done Rory yet? Is he coming on? I've, I've, I'm trying. Putting a good word for me. When, when you get him on, ask when they... I think he was at Plymouth. It was in the Championship. And he played away at Barnsley. And I was at Barnsley. And I actually bought a house in the next kind of cul-de-sac to where his old one was. Yeah. So he was staying up and I had a load of friends up and we had a little cheeky night out after and uh, he ended up staying on my couch. Um, see how much of that he remembers because that would be a good story to tell. And we're going to end it on a cliffhanger. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for having us, Rich. Cheers, buddy. The Low Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. I'm trying to look up. My Gordon Strachan quotes amongst my absolutely favourite things, you know, because he doesn't, uh, he clearly doesn't like press conferences, does he? And he, uh, he always gives them a bit of sass and it's, it's something like a, Gordon can I have a quick word and he just oh, I'm trying to find it now frantically um, I'm in his top uh, oh yeah he says uh, Gordon can we have a quick word please and Strachan replies with velocity <laughs> yeah yeah, Lovely stuff. yeah he was brilliant at times hi Ellis Pod fans it's JR here if Swindon players were McDonald's items who would they be we've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin Harry McCurdy or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.